0: turn to Romans 6. If you need a Bible, every few pews there have a Bible underneath it. You can get one of those out and um, read with me Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans in the New Testament. And uh, Romans 6, verse 15. Let me, while you're turning there, let me read this passage and then we will go back verse by verse and... uh, dissect this and helpfully understand it. Paul writes, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Paul is answering here in verse 15. He's answering the, the argument. He's defending the argument that began back in verse 1. And, and you almost see the same language. They parallel each other in many ways. And Paul's answer to the question of whether, whether the grace of God, whether salvation encourages sin, is may it never be in both times. It says, we, we don't catch it here. But in the Greek, it would be the strongest negative answer that he could possibly provide. And Paul, is, Paul is, he is continuing this argument. He is addressing the false assumption that when he says, "We are not under law but under grace," that that is a license to sin, that that is a license to live however you want, that if there's no, if we're not under law, then people are just going to go crazy and sin just to the, to the nth degree. And Paul is saying, not if they understand grace. Not if they rightly understand the gospel. And what you need to realize here is Paul does not back down from calling believers free. He doesn't back down from what he said in, in verse 21 of chapter 5. The law came that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He doesn't back down to what he just said in verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Paul does not back away from the freedom that we have in Christ. He doesn't back away from grace. But what he does here is explain what that freedom actually is. And it's going to be a paradox of sorts. And we saw it two weeks ago. I'm thankful for Ray teaching for me last week because I was out of town with the students all week and, and couldn't rightly prepare. But we prepared. We saw it two weeks ago when we talked about zeal. An all-consuming zeal for God. An all-consuming zeal that flows from an understanding of what Paul has said in, in Romans 1 1 through 320, that none were righteous, that all of us stood condemned, that by the law no one would be declared righteous, but but apart from the law, verse 21 of chapter 3, God's righteousness has been manifested, and it's through Christ. And the thing that we could not do on our own, God has done for us through Christ. He has propitiated, means satisfactorily paid. The debt that was due our sin. We have died to the in that we have died, and we'll see it in Romans chapter seven. And he compares death of a spouse in order to free to end that marriage to the death of a law. We're freed from that. But what does that mean? And that's the question that Paul wants to answer. What does it mean that we're freed from the law? That we're not under the law, if you will. What does that mean? But under grace. And and Paul again. Paul is. He is constructing an argument here. He is building an argument that, again, that goes all the way back to the fact that grace abounds all the more. And today, 1 through 14 was one side of that argument. 15 through 23 is the flip side of the argument about our freedom in Christ. We have been freed from sin. We have been freed from the law. And in that very moment... Listen, we have become slaves to God and righteousness. Please please grasp that. That's our main point. Flowing from a zeal for God, a singular zeal to present every part of ourselves, a singular focus to do everything to the glory of God, and a zeal for that. Paul is answering the question, how do we live in light of our freedom from the law and our freedom to Christ? How do we live? How do believers live? What does it mean that we are free? That's a big question. Words have meanings, and if I said, "What does it mean that we're free?" I, I would bet we would have lots of different definitions of that, and that's Paul understands that. Some of those definitions would be better than others. Some of those definitions would be, would be very affected by our Americanization. And some of them less. Some of them would be more affected by the word than our culture. But, but listen, Paul is answering the question: what does it mean that we're free? And you see it there on your as your main point. I hope you have your hand out there there in the, the fellowship hall if you want them. I mean the 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 foyer there if you need one. What does it mean to be free? And you see it there as your main point. The true nature of Christian freedom is that believers have been freed from sin's power and dominion. In order to serve as slaves to God and His righteousness, we. I, I send out a devote a little five or six questions each week based on the text that we're going to preach to to prime your hearts and your minds for what you're going to hear today. If you don't get that, if you want to receive that, please email myself or Melissa. We'll make sure you get that each week. It, it it can help with your home devotions. It can help with your personal devotions. If you don't, if you want that. Uh, Please get that. But the first, the first question I asked this week was this. When you, when you read or when you listen to verses 15 through 23, I want you to write down what's the one word that appears more than every other word in those nine verses. What is the word? Slaves. What does that tell you about the emphasis about what Paul is writing right here? What's the emphasis? Understanding how we're slaves to God. Understanding that, and I realize in in listen that that word carries a lot of weight, and that word carries a lot of emotions in our in our culture. We 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 went a couple weeks ago with the with the students to an, a, a community that is still ravaged by the effects of slavery, ravaged by the effects of racism. But slavery in in Paul's day. Understand that what he's writing about. He's writing to a culture where. Some estimates say seventy percent of the population were or had been slaves, and slavery in his day looked vastly different than the the than the unquestionable sin that marked that that is part of unfortunately a part of our culture and our country In, in that day, if you had a debt that you could not repay, you would you would commit yourself to somebody and you would serve that person. As a, way, as a slave in order to work off the debt. Oftentimes, slaves in Paul's day were, were treated like members of the family. Sometimes, you, if you had a good master and you worked off your debt, you would, you would voluntarily serve that master as a freed person, even, just as you had done when you were a slave, because they were a good master. So when I, when I say the word slave, I'm not ignorant to the fact that immediately my challenge every Sunday is, is I preach the word and all of us have filters. All of us have so many filters in our lives based on circumstances, based on history, based on how your week went, based on how many kids you yelled out in the car getting here. No, that's the joy. We never ride to church together, so we have no idea what that looks like. That's the joy. That's the joy of being the pastor. We never ride to church together. Half our family is asleep when I leave on Sunday mornings, so there is little chance, unless it's Karen and I that we're fighting. There's a chance even there, but but we all have filters. I, I can't tell you how many times I've preached and I've gotten done preaching, and someone said, "Man, Chris, I'm really glad you said this." I'm like, "I did not say that." Don't you dare tweet that. I'm looking back at the manuscript. I, there have been times where I've gone back and listened to the recording, like, I know I didn't say that. But your filter hears it. I, I'm not at all. Nowhere. Paul would not say this. I would not say this. The slavery that, that marks our country, unfortunately, is history that was we is is sin. To treat someone differently because of the color of their skin, sin. That's part of the redemption of the gospel. That's what Paul says in in Galatians 3.28. For for in Christ there is neither slave, nor free, nor Greek, nor Gentile, nor Jew, nor barbarian, no Scythian. All those things. Listen, in Christ we're one, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our gender. Listen, God did create gender. That doesn't set aside gender differences. But in Christ, we're equal. Listen, if you treat somebody differently because of the color of their skin, you are a sinner. That is a sin. If you're going to tweet it, tweet that. And that's part of what the gospel redeems us of. That's the beauty of the body. This ought to be a place, regardless of the color of your skin, you're treated equal. Regardless of your nationality, you're treated equal if you're in Christ. Because what Paul has said is all of us come to the gospel as beggars, all of us come to the gospel as enemies. And by God's grace, he has redeemed us. And what he's doing is creating a body that looks very different but, and, and, looked, and, and is from all nations, all tribes. But at the very same time, the thing that, that makes it beautiful can also make it difficult because we come from different cultures. My family's different than your family. I'm different than you. But in Christ, the beauty is we lay all that down for the glory of God. And and if all of us are seeking sanctification, availing ourselves to sanctification, availing ourselves to becoming practically righteous, who we are positionally, all that stuff begins to set aside unless we don't pursue sanctification. Unless we don't see ourselves as slaves to righteousness. If we take the gospel and we think we can take grace and then live for ourselves, here's what it creates. It's the same reason Debbie has a hard time finding people to go work in those nurseries because it's chaos. And it's interesting, Paul, said, Paul says, here's how I know you're immature in chapter 3 of, of 1 Corinthians in Hebrews 5. Jealousy and strife exist. Huh? Just jealousy and strife? Yeah, go in that room right now. Go in that room. You know what's going to mark that room? Jealousy and strife. Arguing over stuff that don't matter. Selfishness. Not letting stuff go. And and the challenge is we as a body, if we don't grow up, we are spiritually what they are physically, immature. Spiritually immature. That's why 1 Peter 2 says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in respects to salvation. We're to grow up. Why? That we would ac- accurately reflect our Savior. And part of that is understanding our freedoms. Part of that maturity is understanding what it means to be a slave to God. It's understanding our freedoms. And again, Paul is dealing with that, and, and, he, and he does this. I, I've, I've tried to capture two points and sub-points sub under that to show us what it means to be a slave for God, that, it is, that, our, that our freedom is actually a slavery, and our slavery is actually a freedom. There's a paradox there. But our freedom is actually a slavery, and our slavery is indeed freeing. And, and you see it there on your handout. Freedom of the believer in Christ from sin and, not, and the law is not a freedom to live however we want, but rather a freedom to live for God and His glory in a way that we couldn't before. We were enemies. We couldn't please God. We couldn't serve God. Look, look at 15 and 16. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Look, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either result either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Paul does not back down from the truth that, cre- that we are freed from the law. Again, verse 14, you are not under law but under grace. But Paul explains what it means to be under grace. And, and Paul is saying this in a culture where they said, look, the law is the only deterrent to sin. And Paul is saying that's not true. There's a greater power that it will be a deterrent to sin. And in defense of the gospel, in defense of grace, Paul is clarifying what he means that we are believers are not under law, but under grace. And, and listen, it, real quickly, I mean, think about the illustration. When I say greater, it's one thing to have a bunch of rules on, in your house that demand your child's behavior. But it's another thing when your children do that without the rules, right? When they do it because they want to. When they clean their room without being told. When they set the table without being told. When they do it out of love. Now, we don't know much about that in our house some nights. Don't get me wrong. Our kids have two parents that are works in progress, and our kids are works in progress. But again, what Paul is saying here is, it's not that we're free in the sense that nothing influences Or guides and empowers. That's the false assumption. That the believer is free in the sense that nothing now empowers, nothing guides, nothing controls them. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you believer, you are under something. You are under grace. You are under the power and influence and control of grace. And this is what Paul explains here. And you see it on your handout, again, verse 16, Do you? he says, do you not know? When Paul writes that, understanding the Greek, he assumes that they know what he's about to say. It's a rhetorical question. You can go all the way back to, he, he uses that phrase a ton. When he says that, it's like saying, you know better. You ever told your kids this? You know better. Do you, do you not know? They know. Again, almost all of them had intimate contact with slavery, and they knew what he was writing about. And again, even down here, because of their flesh, he says in 19, that's why he used this illustration, so there was something they could grasp. And you see it on your handout. Slavery involved two components that would dictate and control a person's life. Two components. Slavery involved status. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. A slave was totally owned by another person. They were totally, they totally lived to that other person's will. They were owned. And like I said, many times they did that on their own in order to eliminate a debt or something. But slavery also involved control. A slave was meant to serve another. You would indenture yourself to somebody. You would commit yourself as a slave in order to serve. And and Paul doesn't, again, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul doesn't back down when he transfers this to Christianity. Or do you not know, there's the phrase again, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We have been bought. We have been ransomed. We have been propitiated. We have been redeemed. All of those involve a purchase of, of sorts, if you will. Our debt has been forgiven. Not like he just said, oh, well, let's just act like that didn't happen. No, it's been paid for by another. And as such, we've said it, we live, we went from enemies to children, we went from alienated to God to adopted by God. A new realm, a new age, a new status, but a new control. And if we're not careful, again, our conduct might, because of a misunderstanding of grace or just a, an immaturity or whatever, might take us to places it shouldn't. Because in you, believer, sin, re- sin is crouching at your door Satan is prowling, looking to devour. Even though I've been redeemed, I still there's still that old nature, that's still that sin battling in me. And the challenge for you and I, believer, is to not live in light of who we are in Christ. And, and Paul doesn't want us to miss grace, to misunderstand grace, or to abuse grace. And what Paul says, you see it on your handout, Paul teaches us here specifically in 15 and 16, that grace doesn't free us to sin and live however we want, but rather calls us to an obligation to obey God and take our walk seriously. Grace obligates you. And even that is a paradox of sorts. Grace and obligation, it does. You've been bought with a price. God's grace enables you to serve Him and glorify Him when you couldn't before as a sinner. And the idea for Paul that a believer would continue in sin because they're not under law was tantamount to to offering yourself as a slave to sin, the outcome which is death. Paul says that clearly in verse 16. He also says it in verse 23. And rightly grasping grace fights this. Our freedom, what he's saying is our freedom is not freedom as we think, but it's a freedom to serve God in ways that we could not serve Him before. You are now free to serve God. You and I were not set free from the penalty of our sin. We were not redeemed simply for our sake, but in order that we would glorify God in our lives. That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20. Do you not know that you have been bought with a price? Here's the conclusion. Therefore, because you have been bought with a price, go live however you want to live. That's not what he said. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. And and what Paul shows us here is that slavery is more than simply a legal status. Legally, we have been declared righteous. Legally, declared righteous. Taken out of condemnation. We talked about those fields. This field is ruled by Adam, sin, and death. Over here is a field ruled by Christ. And it's righteousness and eternal life. We've been taken in salvation, rescued, transferred out of that domain into another domain. And yet we still fight sin and unrighteousness. That's the challenge. And that's what we talked about the other day about get away from the wall. That those old, those old habits and those old things, we still hear that voice. And we still hear that, those desires. They're still there. And as believers, we fight them. That's what it means to grow up in sanctification. And if we consistently yield ourselves to sin, Paul says you have become again a slave to sin. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. It's more than just a realm change. It's a life that follows that's indicative of where you now reside, of your new status. And Jesus is the Savior of that. And you see it in the handout. What Paul teaches us is that our choices bind us to powers, either sin or God. And not allowing ourselves to be a slave to sin is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment experience. It goes way beyond simply our legal status. And again, marriage is that illustration. Way beyond a one-time deal, it affects everything about your life beyond that date. You you had a status, you legally, in marriage, you legally changed statuses. But now that new status controls your everyday. And and I hope that makes sense. We We have been put in a new realm by the grace of God in order to live day by day in that new realm and for the king who rules and reigns the new realm. And the status change, the new title, I mean, again, even in marriage, a, a, a wife gets a whole new name. Changes everything. Who you are in Christ, what Paul is saying, who you are in Christ dictates everything about your life. In that sense, you are under grace. Grace controls, grace guides. Grace directs. Grace obligates you. And Christians who are no longer slaves to sin must no longer live as slaves to sin. Again, by faith, living by God's wisdom and not your own, commanded to put away sin because of who we are in Christ. Every bit of it. That's why he says, do not up there, we saw two weeks ago, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. He's gonna say the same thing here. And this is where it gets, this is where it gets deep, and this is where, again, listen carefully here. And this is gonna go totally against your flesh. Uh, This is gonna, I'm I'm certain that this might upset some people just theologically. But what Paul teaches here and you see it in a handout, is that there is no such thing as human autonomy. Meaning we are never, ever completely free of all outside powers and influences. And I know that runs contrary to our American ideas and all these things of of freedom and all that stuff. Paul Paul treats this very seriously. And this is a very real danger for believers. And again, that's why you see disunity and factions and strife and, and all these things. What Paul shows us here in, in this text, specifically 15 and 16, is that every single person is in one of two camps, okay? Every single person is under the power of one of two things, okay? And again, this, the gospel gets real narrow, but the gospel is narrow. Listen, you see it on your handout. Every person is either A, under the power of sin, or B, under the power of obedience. You're in one of those two realms. Every single person is serving one or the other at all times. No person, listen, here's what he's saying no person is free of a master. Every single person is a slave. The difference is who is your master? I mean, look at verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one you obey? There's no middle ground, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. There's no neutrality. Listen, here's where where I'm going to lose some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's no free will in the truest sense. Meaning you're guided and influenced and empowered by powers that you may not even recognize. Namely, sin. You're not free to stop it on your own. You don't have the power to do so. Romans 8, we'll get into that. You can't. You're enslaved to it. That's why Christ died, to end the slavery there, to transfer you over here. You are always living under the influence and power and guidance of something. And in that sense, you're not free. Now, I'm not saying that takes away human responsibility. I'm not say, saying you're not culpable. I'm not saying that. But in the truest sense, and listen, non believers, and this is where it gets real tricky, even to believers, but let's say non believers think that they are free. They think that they're free to live forever. And even Christians, they, but, but specifically non-believers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that is an illusion. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. People think that they're free. When reality is their sin has blinded them to the truthfulness of their sin, has blinded them to the truthfulness of the gospel. They're not free. And here's where it gets, it gets sticky but, but truthful. The choice is not this. Here's what Satan will say. The choice is this. Satan will say this. Should I maintain my freedom or should I give it up and submit to God? That's what Satan will say the choice is. Should I maintain my freedom to live however I want to live or should I lay down my freedom and submit to God? Here's the choice that the Bible says. Should I continue to serve sin and die eternally? Or should I live to God and live eternally? Should I live as a slave to sin and die eternally? Should I live to God as a slave and live eternally? You see the difference? Either way, you're a slave and 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 and, and, and again, the intro was longer and I, so I run out of time and but I, the illustration just... This illustration just keeps coming in my mind that I read long ago uh, of two people who jump out of a plane. One person has a parachute on, the other person doesn't, and they're, real, they're just there to free fall. Which person is more free? The world was tempted to say, oh, the one without a parachute. Here's the deal. He ain't free. There's this thing called gravity, and he is a slave to gravity. And listen, that person is going to hit the ground at a rate of speed that is not going to be pleasant. But the one who jumps out of the plane with a parachute, guess what he does? He pulls the ripcord. He's the freest of all. Because he has submitted himself to, a, to, a, to a, a power that is greater than gravity. Namely, that parachute. Now, he's going to go down, but he's going to go down slow. And it's gonna, he's going to land well. Listen, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. The world thinks they're free, and there is a a stark awakening coming to them. That's why Paul is going to say in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Why? Because you're putting a parachute on people who are about to jump out of a plane and die, and they don't know it. And the problem is we in this room, even in this room, have bought into the lies of Satan and we don't either, don't believe that the gospel is only through Jesus. We don't, there's some aspect of this gospel that we're not believing, even if it's the narrowness. That's the very thing Jesus taught. That's the very thing Paul's taught. It's the very thing the whole Bible teaches. There is one way. One way. And you're either a slave to sin that results in death Or you're a slave to God and it results in life. That's clearly what Paul says here. And again, marriage is the ultimate illustration here. There's no nebulous middle ground. You're either single or you're married. The problem is some of us who are married want to go back over here and live like we're single. But there's no middle ground. The second you say, I do... There's no nebulous like, I'll hang out and live for myself for a little while. No, you immediately are enslaved to another. And and that's what Paul is saying here. And look what he says. You better choose well. Choose well. Because listen, you see it in a handout. Serving sin leads to death. Serving obedience leads to righteousness. And, and again look look what Paul says here in verse sixteen i I notice the language that Paul uses here. he says, "Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you are slaves to the one you obey either of sin resulting in death or of of, of obedience resulting in righteousness? I think if we were honest at least when I read that and and my mind sometimes can can start filling in the blanks quicker than what the actual words on the page are saying, I would have thought Paul would have said, or do you not know either of sin resulting in death or of God resulting in righteousness? But that's not what he says. Right? Am I alone there? Would you not have assumed that he would have said, you either present yourselves to sin resulting in death or of God resulting in righteousness? In my mind, I think that, but Paul doesn't say that. And here's why I believe. Don't think for one second that how we live as believers doesn't matter. And you go all the way back to the Gospels. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will what? Hmm. So a love for God is displayed how? And obedience to God, Right? No no different than a spouse who says, oh, I love my spouse, but you don't come home, you fool around with other people. You, do you really? At least in that moment, do you really? And, and Paul uses that language. He's saying, don't think for one second how you live doesn't matter. Nor that our behavior doesn't expose our hearts. Paul is emphasizing the significance of, of how we live our lives. Why? Because he's countering a theology that says our lives and our obedience doesn't matter. That's Romans 6.1. Hey, if grace abounds or sin abounds, do whatever you want to do. Doesn't matter. Paul is saying it does matter. And you who think that you're not bound as a believer to anything because the law, has, the law has been fulfilled in Christ, he's saying, no, no, you're actually obligated and bound by grace, which is a greater motivator. Namely, love. I mean, you think about it, wives. If a husband did, a husband could do all of these things, X, A through Z, because the law demands him to do, do them, or a husband can do them A through Z simply because he loves you, which would be more, which would be more meaningful? Because he loves you. Because over here, he can do all these things and not love you. Right? He can, actually, the guy can do all these things, and actually the one he loves is who? Himself. And I think that's the challenge for all of us. And then Paul says the result is righteousness. Righteousness. Again, a huge word, and I think Paul, you know, we would think, oh, the result is eternal life. I would have almost thought he would have said that. But when he says righteousness, guess what? He, he gets a bigger picture. Because guess, guess who inherits eternal life? The who? The righteous. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting, in 3.20, he says, But apart from the law, the what of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God has been manifested. See, if he just says eternal life, here's what you and I are going to do. We're going to separate that from our day-to-day living experience, because that's what we do now. Here's what he says. "The, The man or the woman who truly sees grace rightly who truly sees the Savior rightly, who truly sees their salvation rightly, is going to live day to day for righteousness. And so not only, listen, here's the beauty, not only in a day to day will people see our king and will our character be molded into our king, but ultimately, there's coming a day where we're going to be glorified and we will be perfectly like our king, righteous. So either way, it's practical righteous here in the day-to-dayness of my life. And over here, it's eternal righteousness because I've already been, you go to Romans 8, he's already, he's already put that in the bank. You, but do you see I say all that to try to carefully help us see do you see how we can't separate our salvation from our daily experience we can't have this mentality of well I'm going to go to heaven I'll just live however I want to live and when I die I'll just flash my get out of jail free card that's not the purpose and do you see how again when Paul is saying you are not under law but under grace we're free but not in the free not in the way that you want to think we're free You're now free to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords in a way that you only got condemnation before. And and look at verse 17 and 18. Here's the source. This is why it's greater. Again, this is why in Romans 8, he's going to say that we don't serve through the spirit of the letter, but through the spirit himself. It's a greater. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God... That though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the where? Heart. You see it? To that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Where does our obedience flow from? heart. Interestingly, go to Matthew 15. Where does it say all of our words flow from? The heart. Where does Proverbs say the source of all life is? The heart. The heart. The result, the result of this, of salvation is not only a legal change, it's a status change, but it's a heart change. What God desires from his people is more than just merely going through the motions. More than merely just doing things that we don't want to do anyway. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says our hearts are desperately wicked, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, that's exactly what God promised. He says, I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my ways and my statutes. I'll circumcise your heart, I'll give you a new heart and I'll cause you To walk in my ways. And again, what did that? Not the law. Grace. Not rules. Grace. Love. And while this will ultimately result in eternal life, what Paul is more concerned about here is the day-to-day ethical righteousness, if you will, that flows from our status of having been declared righteous. How do you, believer, live every single moment of every day, by not presenting yourselves as slaves to unrighteousness, but slaves to righteousness. And what motivates that? Grace motivates that. What controls that? Grace controls that. What empowers that? Grace empowers that. And the more that we know God, that's why I'm grateful for Daniel even this morning, the more that we know this great God, it's interesting in the, it will not feel like slavery, but actually freedom. And and in the Old Testament, you see a picture of this, that, that slaves, when they, Oftentimes they would become free and if they served a great master, they would put an awe in their ear listen to this and they would voluntarily go back and submit themselves to their owner and they would do everything that they had to do as slaves only now they would do it as freed people. why? because they had an awesome master and imagine walking around in a city and you see a man or a woman and you know that's the per- you know that's the point. What would you think about, where would your mind go when you saw a person and they had an awe in their ear? Who would you think about? Their master. You wouldn't say, oh, that dude is awesome, that dude is awesome. No, you'd say, that person, here's what I know, that person serves an awesome master. Why? Because they have voluntarily submitted themselves to someone even as a freed person. Are they free? Yes, they are. But are they slaves? Yes they are. And the reality is serving somebody because you want to and because you love them is actually that's the true freedom that Paul is talking about. That's the truest freedom. And Paul is saying believers will be controlled and guided and gripped by a heart of grace. They'll be, they'll be so overwhelmed by love. It'll be like what Jesus says in Matthew 13, about the man who finds a treasure in the field and he goes and sells everything else. Why? To buy that field. What was he controlled by? What was he compelled by? He was compelled by finding something of greater value. He was controlled by what he wanted, not by what he had to do. And even in Matthew, even in Romans 5, 21, Paul connected righteousness to eternal life through grace. But how we live, listen, believers, your freedom is not a freedom to do what you want, but it's a freedom to do what God wants, but not merely Externally. And it's the gospel that brings about this obedience, joyful obedience. And you see it on your handout there. Believers are under grace. And what Paul means by this is that God's grace is not only a freeing power, but it is a controlling power as well. Here's what he means by this. What controls us is a willing obedience to serve and glorify our new master and his glory alone because of the grace he has lavished upon us. And and I'll never, I've shared this before, but I I pray that I'll never forget it. One of the presidents of our Southern Baptist Convention adopted a child from a foreign nation. And he told the story of. uh, They were, the kid was a few years old, and they were bathing the child that night. And the kid looked up at them and said, thank you, I will make you a proud papa. Why would he say that? Because of grace. Not I'll pay you back. Not not give me the laws that I have to obey. That was a child that was consumed by grace that understood adoption. Listen, until we understand how wretched we were, we'll never, never understand the abundance of God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. If you think for one second that your sin was small, then it didn't require much grace for you to be forgiven, and therefore you will go to Luke, Luke, and he says, therefore you will love little. He who has been forgiven little loves little. He who has been forgiven much. Again, the parable of Simeon and the, the, the adulterous woman. What, what controlled that child? His adoption. What made that child want to please his father? His adoption. He was controlled. He was compelled by gratitude, by love, by grace, not law. And and those are so much more effective in our lives. And and later, Paul will show again that it's the the Spirit that guides and leads. And I I hate to jump forward, but, but Romans 8, again, he says, so that the requirement of the law might be, verse 4, fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Listen. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead also gives life to your mortal bodies through this Spirit. What leads? What guides? That's exactly what God promised to do in the Old Testament. In Galatians 5, you see the same thing. We are freed from sin, not to sin. And God's grace is freeing, but yet it's controlling at the same time. It's paradoxical of sorts, but that's the genuine freedom. And and, and I know some of you hate sports analogies, and forgive me, but I I can remember early on when I was learning to play golf, we would be very, very mechanical early on in, in our drills and on our... And in teaching swing and in teaching the fundamentals, extremely mechanical. And, and there was little freedom when you would stand over the ball to try to hit the ball because your, your mind was thinking about so many things. But listen, over time, and Lee would probably say the same thing with shooting a basketball or whatever. Whatever it is, over time, that which was mechanical became what? Natural. Lacrosse. Coal. Coal. When you flail that little ball or whatever it's called into that goal, you're not thinking about my arms here, here. You just do it. I picked up that thing one time. I couldn't get the ball to go two feet. Him and Kate are slinging it all over the place. Why? Because they've been trained. Here's what happens. And it even says this in Hebrews 5. But to those who have been trained by righteousness, guess what? It's freeing. We begin to naturally do what God wants us to do. Why? Because we're controlled by grace. We've been trained by it. And eventually, you know, those days are way behind me, but eventually I could swing a golf club pretty well. And I didn't have to think about all the drills. You just step up to the ball and hit it because you've been trained. But I was controlled by the drills, I was controlled by the practice. And what Paul says there, you see it in the handout, Paul makes it very clear that though believers are free from sin in the law, believers are now under obligation to obey a new master, namely God and righteousness. We are free from sin so that we can become slaves of another master, but a master who is everything we sang about this morning and so much more. We exist to reflect the glory of our master. We have been bought by grace to do just that, not to serve self. And we're going to stop here at point one, and I, and I just want to challenge us. When people see you, thinking about that awe, when people's in your ear, when people see you, do they see a person who joyfully serves a master? Because think about what that might do as seeing an awe in someone's ear. When you think about it, that would attract you to that master. Do our lives and our joyful obedience, does our, does our joyful obedience attract others to our Savior? Does, the slave, does, does our new found slavery, which is actually freedom, does it entice is it salt? Is it light? Is it a, fragrant or a fragrance to those around us? Or might our lives be actually detracting from the gospel and turning people away? God desires joyful obedience. He desires the people who delight. Psalm 19, Psalm 19 verses 7-16, through 16, who's the, who through training of it the word, he delighted to do the word. Delighted to obey, delighted to play lacrosse, basketball, golf, whatever. It wasn't a chore. Is that us? In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools? Is it a joy to serve our King? Do our lives, do our lives say to those around us, come come taste and see that my Lord is good. Because they're serving a the lord, he's just going to kill them at the end. And my king offers eternal life. So matter today whether you're a non-believer or whether you're a believer, listen to me. You're serving a master. Sin leads to eternal death. Slavery to God leads to eternal life. The choice is yours if you will. Whom will you serve? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen.